Welcome everyone to episode 12 of Pen Pen Pals podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Alex, and this is your other host. I'm Ben, and we have a uh, guest with us today. Uh, Jessica, Jess, what do you prefer to go by? Jess is good, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jess is an old friend. Uh, she's kind of a JRPG fanatic. She's got a lot of experience with anime and a lot of Japanese culture. Currently, she's a PhD student in uh, theoretical computer science, which sounds very cool. And I know that she does uh, mutual aid around her area. Yeah, um, so there's this like really cool group in San Diego called uh, We All We Got San Diego. And they're all about just like people in the community, helping out people in the community. So the, the principle is sort of like, uh, you need my help today, I need your help tomorrow, right? And so we got to take care of each other, specifically like through the pandemic there doing like grocery buying and pharmacy uh, purchase and like delivery for for people who for whatever reason need to maybe like isolate more or in a position to do it themselves um, and also trying to help out however they can. And uh, sorry sorry if I like cut you off there too. I I mean, as you probably know, the Zoom calls have weird lags, so. Yeah, it is unfortunate. And I'll cut us out later. You're the star of this episode. Oh God, I thought Pen Pen was the star. This is too (laughs) much pressure. <laughs> so we wanted to ask you uh before we watched the episode what uh what's your experience with neon genesis did you watch it before is it important to you oh wow okay so i i loved neon genesis uh when i was in i want to say middle school i think um and like my my interest in it i think is like very uh different than than like it is now as I've started rewatching the show to like prep for for this podcast, uh, where I just sort of like I watched a few episodes. I was like, Ray is super dope, and I want to be her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just like very focused on like the interpersonal, I think, like aspects of the show, and just sort of ignored like the setting and like the history of like Tokyo Three and and all of that stuff. And so I'm sort of like rewatching it for the first time and being like, why did I not care about any of this? Like what is going on <laughs> in those worlds? Um so I'm kind of excited to actually like rewatch the entire series now. Uh now that my interests have like maybe evolved a bit. I was gonna say, do you remember uh what it was about Ray that captured you as a teenage girl? Um, so I think, I like, I don't know, for like a lot of anime series, there's always sort of like this one like stoic, very self-contained, like reserved, badass character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so not me as a person. Like, I have difficulty not saying anything that I think, um, that I'm just like, oh, wow, that's so cool. That Like, that's a thing, that's like a way you can be. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I think that's sort of like why I like latched onto her. So, so you're kind of an Atsuka who wants to be a Ray. Yeah, I think that's I think that's accurate. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that was really cool to hear. Uh, uh, it draws a lot of parallels to our own experience with the show. Uh, going back through it, looking at it with a critical eye, and I've been very focused on Ray, Asuka, and of course Pen Pen. But like Ray and Asuka <laughs> are by far the most interesting parts thus far. Um, and I used to think of them as, oh, like opposite personalities, but that's not really, I don't know if that's really useful anymore. They're so, they're, I don't know, they're very loving portrayals. They get over-sexualized things, but their actual actions are really, really fascinating. And this is like, I think a great episode, right? Cause like this, I don't know, like 
definitely focuses on on like the all the characters trying to understand their own motivations for like why even are we doing this so uh for the pp pals peapod update uh my mother uh actually went into the garden yesterday and harvested all of the beets uh and there were there's a lot of greens to eat which actually i found i like uh, beet greens but there were like three beets three fully formed beets out of an entire row of beets so the soil is not deep enough for these plants to grow you, you, you made it sound kind of like she went rogue <laughs> this without your permission. Yeah, we should read it that way. That's far more interesting. <laughs> so I feel like we haven't gotten any actual Peapod updates the, the last couple of times. Is pea season over? Are we like on to the other plants? Oh, they're dead. They're gone. <laughs> so unless you want to rename this, the, the uh, uh, segment. Do you, do you have plants, plans to replant some more pea pods? Yeah, uh, I could on the other end of, I guess that would be coming up. But right now it's just too hot. It'll kill them. Uh, okay. So there's kind of like a temperature window in early summer and late summer. Yeah, which never knew about that until this year. Uh, so learning things left and right. Yeah, how is how is Virginia? Uh, it's okay. Uh, Northern Virginia, COVID-wise, we're actually doing pretty well, all things considered. Weather-wise, it is, you know, it's a swamp. It is so humid. During the days, it's gotten really hot and the humidity's gone down, but it's just that, like, seesaw. So at night, you're like, oh, it's nice and 70, but we have 90% humidity. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> How is uh, uh, California? Is it San Diego? I, I feel like a jerk saying this, but like, it's perfect all the time. Like, it's just always gorgeous. <laughs> if it's hot, still, it, it's a dry heat. It's sunny. Uh, we will all move out there eventually. It's okay. That's okay. We're going to fall into the ocean in a few years. So, you know. Well, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just like burning into smithereens, <laughs> like one way or the other. Yeah. And Ben, how is the PP Pals uh, podcast other pods update? Yeah, so this has been an eventful week. I talked to, so I forget what my update was last week, but basically the city is, or people are trying to claim that this like pre-trial gag order should extend even though like the person's already been convicted of the crimes and there is no jury to bias. And I'm not sure exactly what their game is, but talked to the judge briefly and he confirmed that this was the case. Um, and then talked to his defense lawyer who said he was the one that argued for uh, keeping it, but didn't really, like basically it sounded like he's just like, well, this is what my client wants. So like, I have to make that argument even though it doesn't make any sense. Like that's my duty as his lawyer to represent his best interests. And then he like, I don't know, like hoodwinked the judge into like believing his bullshit. I'm not sure. This is your first time talking to a judge about uh, a podcast? First time talking to a judge ever, I think. Pretty awesome. Yeah, I wish I had recorded it. It was, I went to a doctor's appointment and I was like literally in the waiting, you know, like they bring you back into the little room, mm -hmm. but then you always have to like wait a second time for the doctor to actually show up. So that was like right when he decided to like return my phone call. And so I was just like, uh, I'm like at the doctor's office. So I might have to run really quick. And then like the doctor walked in. <laughs> 
It's frustrating. It's very awkward. <laughs> uh, well, cool. That sounds frustrating, but I'm glad there's, I guess, progress. <laughs> Even if it's backwards, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Last time on What Gendo Does in the Shadows, Nerve employees showed solidarity by picking up their laundry together, while Lieutenant Commander Kozo showed distance and discomfort. Shady Gendo upped the ante by telling Shinji that his education and future are not important before their phone call was cut short by a spooky and seemingly unbelievable power outage at Nerve. The faithful women, NBs, and men of Nerve sprang into action, diverting emergency power away from life support, manually prepping Ava's, and commandeering campaign vehicles. The pilots made their way into the shadowy bowels of Central Dogma by climbing through pitch black air vents and sharing some feelings. A somber, gentle, and observant angel moved into town only to find the city on lockdown. The angel made its way to a geofront access tunnel and cried tears of happiness and acid to find someone to observe, namely a trio of highly efficient killing machines. The Avas quickly dispatched the silent strider without pity or remorse, leaving this humble host with one thought. I wonder what the next angel will be. I certainly hope it does not have another eye motif or drop more dangerous materials on Nerve HQ. Episode 12, The Miracle's Worth, with Gendo and Kuyutsuki in Antarctica. A newly promoted Misato is in charge when a new angel appears above the earth, aiming to bomb Tokyo 3. Oh, I brought up the lyrics for this. I was going to try to sing it. That's okay. Last time. <laughs> do you know the Japanese lyrics? Uh, I don't really know Japanese, but I do know roughly the sounds that go along with it. You learned them phonetically? Oh. I did. <laughs> well, feel free if you want to. It's great audio. Right. So we uh, start with a flashback of the second impact. Uh, it's the most we've actually gotten to see it. We see like the wings of light and we see that uh, Misato was present there along with her father. And to, uh, I guess, keep her alive, he puts her in this like survival capsule, which I guess there's only one of them. So it ensures his death and uh, hopefully uh, keeps her alive, which thankfully it does. Uh, she gets this, we didn't really see that, how she got this big scar, but it seemed like she was bleeding in the flashback. So maybe something happened uh, before she got in the uh, survival capsule. Uh, and she still has this uh, necklace, which I'd never really thought about before. It's a cross, right? And I hadn't thought about her as a uh, a person of faith, but in this episode, she does talk about later she believes in miracles, but she believes that they they only happen if you make them happen, right? It's not an outside influence. It's an opportunity to do something miraculous. It's a pretty interesting take on it. I, I was going to say, so yeah, so we see some sort of like big explosion, and then we see kind of these, these huge wings from outer space, um, and then kind of like the, the tips of those wings from Masato's perspective. So is that... Um, and the angel, do we, do we have a sense of what that is at this point? I don't think yet. Uh, it sounded like it, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's something being birthed. And so I haven't watched like, everything, uh, up till episode 12. Do we, uh, know at this point exactly like how second impact or like you said, this is like the most we've seen of like what happened during second impact so far, right? Yeah. We know that 
we know now that it happened because of an experiment, not Nerve, but people in Nerve, Gendo and I guess Masato's father, some other people were uh, present there. Some experiment they did at the South Pole with, they called it finding an angel, but I think we know now that they found Adam, which okay. they describe as an angel. And, and we know, I guess, the official story that they tell about it is a lie and that they were studying something and then, quote unquote, like a mysterious explosion happened. And then like Antarctica was vaporized and chaos ensued. <laughs> yeah, so I have like a bunch of questions. I kind of wish this episode was like an hour long because there's like a whole lot going on in this like little like Antarctica cutscene where I'm like, how, like, why... Why was Masato actually there? Like my understanding is when people go on research expeditions, they typically don't take their families with them. But yeah. um, and also like who found her, right? Like it, as far as we can tell, like it, it seems like the building that she was, right? Like uh, uh, the building in which she was like put into this capsule was like shortly after demolished and she was just like a wash in a sea in the Antarctic sea. So I'm like, where did, like who found her? Like how long did it take for her to like recover? Oh from yes. This? Why doesn't she freeze to death? I don't want answers to all these questions. Yeah. yeah. What is she eating in there? Is there food? Yeah, some MREs or something, I guess. How awesome are these survival pods? I guess we have to assume that that survival pod is loaded with everything you need. Thermal blankets and food. It's kind of interesting too that they look like the the plugs for the Avas, right? Oh. Oh yeah, that's a really good point. It's like maybe, ooh, that opens up questions, I guess. Like what were they doing down there? Yeah, well yeah, maybe that's why they needed to bring a, a 14 year old kid there. Were they gonna like stick her in something? Oh, snap. <laughs> oh. I, I have no idea. This is not spoilers. This is just what rife speculation. <laughs> okay, why is she here? It's a pretty awesome guess. Yeah, wow, uh, Misato, just <laughs> increasingly more fascinating. Uh, we get to see this flashback, which is very illustri- il- or illustrative, uh, if not, doesn't really explain anything, but it, it gives us a glimpse, yeah. right? And then we come back and uh, Toji and Kensuke are waiting out the rain at Shinji, Misato, and Asuka's place. And we find out that Misato got a promotion to major, which makes her like, that's pretty high rank in any military I've ever heard of. We also know that Asuka and Shinji did not notice that this happened, which is awesome. I mean, like, in in their defense, it seems to be that the difference is there's like a pin that she wears on right her mm-hmm. collar and now it has two stripes as opposed to one so i think they could be maybe forgiven well oh, that's true and this may be the first morning she put that one on instead mm. I, I do like that it makes sense that like kensuke would be the one who like realizes this since he's like the military oh nerd. yeah ah that's awesome such attention to detail and then we have uh toji and asuka have a little spat where asuka accuses them of trying to see her naked which toji denies and says, who would ever want to see her naked? But Toji and Kensuke were taking pictures of her and selling them to other kids. So that's obviously a lie. He finds her attractive. (laughs) Or at least knows that there's a market, right? (laughs) It it was before they knew her personality. Yeah, which, well, I mean, nobody really knows her. She puts on a lot of airs. She's very cool. God, I love Asuka. Man, I love all three of these pilots. First time I watched through this, I was very frustrated by Shinji and 
flabbergasted by Ray because I just didn't understand her. And now being an adult and knowing more people and knowing about like neuroatypical behaviors, I'm just like, oh my gosh, what a wonderful representation. Like Shinji is really confused and trying to find his way. And Asuka's overconfident because she's trying to um, like compensate for the vulnerability she felt when she was young and just awesome. Sorry, I'm going to rant about that. <laughs> so, and then we have a harmonics test, right? Which we have never seen before. I guess it involves the pilots all, they don't, insert the plugs into the avas they just sit in some sort of amniotic liquid and they i guess they meditate yeah so i'm gonna can, can i yeah. out about this a little bit just because i am very confused because it seems like the synchronization right requires that they actually be like submerged or that like they're actually like in the fluid itself mm -hmm. right but like when you see when their little capsules open later that like there wasn't any what is it? What is it called? LCL? Yeah, I think you're right. LCL. I don't remember what it stands for. LCL fluid? Yeah, like there's nothing in there. But like they are, their plugs are being submerged in this fluid. And so I'm like, do they have to actually be like breathing it? Like how is, how is this test working? When they get out of the AVAs, they're never like dripping with stuff, right? I don't, I don't know. So oh, maybe, huh, maybe okay. like the idea is like yeah. they've drained it out already by the time the thing's open or it's just like... That's, that's plausible. Presumably, like the suits that they're wearing. Oh, drip dry, Gore-Tex, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but they, uh, that is a good point, and it's probably a cheapness of animation uh, choice, because I'm sure in the run of this, someone brought that up, but it would be much more expensive to animate liquid dripping off of them, right? Fair, fair. So, so I was kind of confused because I thought from before this that Shinji had like the highest sync rate or um, like higher than Asuka, you know, so I guess it was higher than Ray and maybe like the thing before where she was kind of like acting jealous of him or whatever. It was just for kind of what his rate was for like how little experience he had that she had been training for years and that, you know, his was kind of like impressive for how quickly he had picked it up but that, that her sync rate is still- Yeah, high. I don't know. I think maybe there are two, maybe there's multiple things they're scoring on. But, but I think they said that she's higher in harmonics and sync rate, which I mm. feel like up until now we've been talking about sync rate. So I think maybe we just misinterpreted that a little bit earlier uh, on. I wish they would give us more numbers so that we could actually <laughs> devise a system that we're mapping this to, but no, all we get is 40. So it's, it's like the points are like percentage points, right? But I think sync sync rates can also go over. Anyway, but she says like, was it it's forty points or something that she's ahead? Is that right? I can't. Remember she said she's numbers, definitely but... still ahead, um, and that okay. uh, Shinji caught up eight points in ten days, which sounds very progressive. Uh, it sounds awesome for him. Yeah, but I think like in early on he had like a, a sync rate already of like forty something or like close to fifty percent, right? So that means that, mean, that means like Asuka's got to be. Killing She's definitely him. like this is what she lives for, right? They all have, and yeah. this episode yeah. they talk about their individual reasons. Like we've already gone through Ray's reason in another episode, and Asuka kind of shares like this is Asuka's reason for living yeah. is to like be the best. And if you're the best, yeah. you find the most impactful thing you can do with those skills. And for her, it's piloting an Ava. Yeah, I feel like, like we start to see her grapple with the fact that, like, oh, if she is the best, like, there's only one direction you can mm. go, right? Oh. And she's just, like, lashing out, right, now that she's, like, kind of having to 
grapple with this a little bit, but it still seems, I don't know, like very, right. So like, like, like you've pointed out, she like puts on, like she puts on this front. Um, it's sort of like, I don't know, like very uh, aggressively in, into Asuka and like no one else is as cool as me. But like, you you know that that's sort of like, that that is a friend, right? That that's not really her. And so I feel like the, the like when she is lashing out at Shinji, it just still seems like it's sort of at that superficial Asuka level that maybe it's still not actually like cutting deep into like what she actually cares mm. about. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't really thought about it before. So for both Ray and Asuka, this is like the only thing they have going on. But for Ray, it's like, this is like her connection to the world, right? It's more like this is the service she can provide and be useful. But for for Asuka, it's all about like being the best, right? It's not about like helping the team, right? She just wants to be number one and like have praise lavished on her or something like that, right? And I feel like Shinji still, he's just like, he doesn't, he's not really motivated, which I guess Misato kind of reminds us of in this episode, like, he doesn't even want to pilot this thing. He's just like good at it. And he's like following orders and going with the- Oh yeah, this episode is the first time and we'll get to it at the end that we get some sort of answer for why Shinji is piloting it. Besides his, like he does have that moment where he says that he can't run away anymore. Uh, And that's his, you know, turning point where he's like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pilot the Zeva, even though it's hard. Well, maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe it wasn't this miraculous turnaround. Maybe he, consciously or unconsciously, he picked up on another reason to do it, which is to, you know, maybe finally have a relationship with his father. I feel like this is, like, just so, so sad, right? Because, like, you can see that, like, his dad completely exploits this, right? He's like, I'm going to give you just enough, right, like, to to keep you coming back and it's just so and like at the I mean yeah we could talk about this again at the end maybe but like at the end he just like looks so genuinely happy mm-hmm. right like when they're they're sitting there together he's just like got the smile on his face I feel like the happiest you ever see him and I'm just like this is so sad because it was like so little I'm, I'm trying to remember the timing before so so are you saying that like maybe so there's that shot of him looking at Ray talking to Gendo and they're like talking and Ray's like smiling, that that's like Shinji kind of wanting to get to that place with his dad. Like, and does, did that happen before he like actually decides to like do it for real or? Well, yeah, like, I don't know how, but my, my theorem isn't complete at all, but that's brilliant because I had thought, thought about that scene where he's kind of spying on them and you see Ray acting very uh, adult and bubbly with uh, Gendo. I was thinking, oh, he's seeing Gendo as this, uh, maybe subconsciously as this sexual rival because he's attracted to Ray in some fashion, but maybe it's the yeah. other way. He's He sees it and he's like, oh, you bitch, that is my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or or that like somehow this is like by being the pilot, this is my path to getting to that place with my father. This is like a thing that like a way we can bond or something like that. Yeah, an activity that the the kid should never have to find. (laughs) I feel like the parent should, you know, put some effort towards that. Uh, So so anyway, so like he he gets complimented by uh, Ritsuko. As we were saying, Asuka doesn't take that very well. She decides to go home on her own, even though she's going back to the same apartment. And then uh, Shinji and Misato 
um, have this, this ride back where, you know, she says that she's not really happy with the promotion. Though I, I'm kind of confused by like what Misato's, um, you know, kind of her ambivalence about this thing. Um, is it just that she doesn't really care that much about these like official designations? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I found that scene very interesting as well. Uh, I think, and the fact that it's Masato and Shinji talking about it, I think it's that praise and reward, they're not as important as the source of the praise and reward. You know, at the beginning of the episode or uh, after the harmonics test, right? Shinji's being praised for making progress on his harmonics. He's doing better, but he doesn't really seem to care. It like it's nice, but he, we don't get that smile like we do at the end of the episode. And so Misato, her motivation is to kill these angels. And so promotion, whatever, doesn't matter. In fact, she's happy retrospectively only because the promotion allows her to pull rank slightly later in the episode with Ritsuko and just be like, look, I'm a major now and you cannot, you cannot go around me with these decisions. Yeah. I was also, uh, I feel like this conversation with the car is also just sort of like a a great example of how, how just like continually confused and like wrapped up in Shinji's world Shinji is because the conversation starts by being like about Masato and her promotion, right? And she says one thing and then it's Shinji immediately makes it about Shinji. (laughs) (laughs) It just like stays there for like pretty much the rest of the conversation. And like, it's (laughs) like, I was sort of expecting to be like, oh, he's like talking about how he can relate and he's gonna like bring it back to Masato and then does it. (laughs) And and also I feel like he's just like, yeah, I I know what you mean. Like my thing, and it's like, it's very unclear if that's actually why she's unhappy about her promotion. (laughs) (laughs) But but I mean, like, I I think, you know, some of that was Shinji and maybe some of that is just, all 14 year olds maybe or I don't know or you know just like at that age yeah I mean I think it's also very understandable just because he's like I mean he's right like uh in school and trying to like process just immense amounts of trauma um so it's it's definitely like forgivable but I just think that's like a really great like demonstration of I don't know like yeah where these characters are um mentally oh yeah definitely (laughs) uh and yeah uh, uh teenagers especially young teenagers like that they are like that I mean, at least when I was that age, I assumed that the adults around me had their shit together and that I was, it was my time to start getting my shit together and asking these questions. But like, that's not how people work. There's no like, you know, cutoff point for when you're an adult and when you don't need to talk about your issues anymore. Yeah, that's a great point. I sort of like forget that that there's, right, that there's sort of like this like caretaker child dynamic Mm. that... So Shinji's like, why, why is Asuka getting mad at me? And then I feel like Misato's answer is just like her opinion of Shinji, which is like... <laughs> yeah, I know, I, I, I know that too. Where it's like, I don't, I don't think that's what's going on with Asuka, actually, Misato. I think that's yeah, she, maybe... She's like, so she says that Asuka's angry because like you care too much what other people think about you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which Asuka makes reference to that. I don't know if she did there, but in earlier episodes, she does make reference to like how Shinji acts. But I, I think you're right. I think that's more performative that she's like, look, this is how men are supposed to act in society. Okay. It has nothing to do with it actually being Shinji and his motivation. Okay. So we do get a sweet 
party scene where uh, Pem Peng gets to hang out with the class rep again, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> Uh, we know that Kensuke did most of the work for this, calling everybody, getting everybody to together. And it quickly descends into an argument with everyone at the table except for Masato and Shinji, which is pretty interesting. It's like they were alone in the car and now they're with people, but suddenly they're alone again. My favorite thing is that when they're having the argument, Pen Pen starts squawking and flapping like he's taking part in it, which is awesome. The first time I watched this episode, I was like, who was screaming <laughs> in the background? Like, I'm not even saying anything. And I watched it again, I was like, oh, it's Pen Pen. That makes more sense. And, and I guess, we, so we had that like Hedgehog's Dilemma episode earlier that was kind of about like Masato and Shinji pushing each other away. But I feel like this episode is maybe like, kind of especially highlighting their similarities, right? Like kind of like their strange relationships with their fathers. And, um, you know, so I don't know if maybe Misato also kind of feels like the odd person out in this situation. I guess she is like the adult around a bunch of like 14 mm, okay. year olds. I lose sight of that. I was I feel like, this, yeah, this is also like a, a really like, again, like telling and sort of sad, uh, like exchange between, between Shinji and, and Misato when, He's like, oh, you know, if you were promoted, that means that somebody recognizes like your your value, right? Because that's who you are, right? Is like your mm. I don't know, like your your value as a human being, right? Is clearly like one to one, like reflected by by like your career performance. And I'm just like, oh, that's such like a a sad, but again, like kind of Shinji esque like perspective to to have on things. And and you know, Masada's just like, yeah, I guess. Um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is like two, two people for whom like they're they're work really is their life and I guess like their yeah, entire sense of self-worth is just coming from from stuff mm. at the job. We, we've talked before about kind of like how it's like weird that she took Shinji in to like live with her and stuff. I guess now I'm like wondering for the first time if she's just like a lonely person you know and that like you know it's kind of like yeah sure like my job is going great but like I am in this like I'm like I'm celebrating with like a bunch of like 14 year olds it's like the only thing I have going for me and, and and maybe too it's like even though she has the promotion like like we do know that she's being kept in the dark about like a lot of stuff that's going on with like nerve and like seal and like the people who are actually in charge are like off in Antarctica like doing you know god knows what uh, I, I hadn't thought about the similarities between Misato and Shinji, at least as much before this episode, and actually just before you, uh, uh, YouTube mentioned this. But then something struck me uh, uh, towards the end of the scene, Kaji and Ritsuko show up, which is like, you know, Kaji and Misato have this uh, history and Ritsuko shows up in this really cute shorts and, you know, it's just like a, a comfortable number. But it seems like, at least to Misato, it seems like they have shown up together, right? But I, I had never thought about the parallels between uh, the pilots and their handlers before. And listening to you two, I finally put it together that Misato and Shinji do share a lot of parallels. And Misato is a potential, like, if Shinji grew up the way that Misato grew up, he would be, he would turn out a lot like her. Uh, with these father issues and the like needing something to make value in their life, uh, at least to the world, even though it doesn't make value for them. Uh, Ritsuko, just like Rei, is very 
reserved emotionally and observes a lot of scenes without taking part in them emotionally. And also when she does mm -hmm. do her emotions, she's very performative with them, which Ray is not, but that's something that Ray may learn to do later uh, to just like, I don't know, work with everybody else's expectations of her. And then Asuka is like Kaji, like very performative, very grandiose in your face, more sexualized than the other characters. Like. Kaji seems to be this, for whether there's a purpose to it or not, he's this horn dog, right? Like he's constantly assaulting Masato and doing basically the same thing to Ritsuko. And uh, Asuka is not that, like yet. If she keeps going with this kind of performative sexuality, which she's learning, like she could very well end up there. Yeah, and especially like as she gets older, like right, if, if, she's very much like a, oh i need i need all eyes on me right i need a attention sort of thing that's like a, a one of the easier routes to to get it yeah. so i also really love uh when when they do enter in together uh you see misato just like drinking her beer for a very long time <laughs> like <laughs> before she finally speaks again and i was like oh she's she's still drinking that okay <laughs> some time <laughs> She has to, to work through stuff. So I guess we uh, we cut down to uh, Gendo and uh, Kozo. We're down in the South Pole with the UN fleet. And, you know, they're talking about kind of like what a wasteland it is down there. When uh, Nerf picks up the, uh, the signs of, of another angel attack. <laughs> uh, we do get a difference between Gendo and Kozo there which I didn't pick up until this watching. Gendo says that he prefers the South Pole. He prefers the pristineness of it. And he prefers the, um, I don't know, like seeking out a goal. Whereas Kozo says, uh, even if humans are sinful, I'd rather live in a world, or I'd rather see a world where humans exist. Like he thinks that humanity is worth it. And it sounds like Gendo is not so mm. sure. Yeah, I, I do love this exchange just because I feel like it, it also sort of like illustrates two attitudes towards just like scientific endeavor generally, right? Which is the like, just because you could didn't mean that like you, you should oh, yeah. sort of like perspective of like, oh, if you, you know, if you just like keep on, you know, exploring for the sake of curiosity like, and all these things, like you, you can do some pretty horribly destructive things, right? And then the like other side, which is like, but this is, this is like, what's great about humanity is that like, we have this impulse to like understand everything and explore everything. And I feel like there's also sort of this like question of like, well, if they didn't do it, like somebody's probably going to, mm. right? This is like the reality of the world. And if like these, this particular scientific group doesn't actually, um, if second impact hadn't happened when it, when it did, like it probably still would have happened eventually, right? And I don't know, I feel like there's this, yeah, sort of like cautious, like protector, like mentality. Um, and then the like crazed scientist needs all of the answers. We got to do it now sort of mentality played against each other in this interaction. Even though it's like super brief, I really, I don't know, like resonated with me. Yeah, wow. Uh, there, theirs is a more complicated relationship than I thought. Okay, so uh, we get our next angel, Sahakuel, I'm gonna think. It means the ingenuity of God and the angel of the sky, which ingenuity, it uses this AT field in new ways that we haven't seen it used before. It like reaches out with the AT field. Uh, you can't really see it, but it like crushes these satellites that are trying to uh, observe it. 
up to this point, this is the most abstract angel, except for maybe Ramael. But this one is almost cartoon-like in its design. There are ancient, I can't remember exactly where they are. I should have looked this up. Maybe Aztec or something South American. Okay, there are these uh, giant depictions. Maybe, man, maybe I'm thinking of crop circles. Uh, I I think I know what you're talking about. Uh, It's like this Peruvian, um, like animal shapes that you can see from the sky. Nazca line. Bingo, that's exactly what I was thinking. Oh yeah. I see what you're saying. The the kind of like bold lines, the imagery is is similar. What am I thinking of? Oh, I'm thinking of uh, Cowboy Bebop. There's an episode with an AI system in space and it takes control of these orbital lasers And that's what it does with the orbital lasers. It makes more of those because it's like, I wanted to create art and this is the only canvas I had. That's amazing. Okay, so it has, yeah, this almost cartoon-like, very abstract design and it's designed by Hideaki Anno. He seems to have the most alien designs out of all of the angels. It's got this central eye and the middle of that central eye, the pupil seems to be its uh, S2 core that powers the whole thing and it, It's very simple though. It seems to have no form of locomotion, just the AT field. And it's just like, I'm going to slowly drift towards uh, nerve HQ. And as I go, I will experiment with bombing. And the way it bombs is it just like bloops off a little piece of itself. And that comes crashing to earth at terminal velocity with like the impact of, I don't know, like it's it's huge. Uh, They're like these two mile wide impact craters. And it can just keep doing that as it slowly drifts towards the HQ. They try to set off a bunch of N2 mines in orbit, which are those nukes, and it does nothing. And that's its plan. Uh, It's a pretty ingenious plan just to use uh, the force of gravity along with the AT field to create this massively destructive force. And just as it is ingenious in its attack pattern, uh, that leads to Masato having to be very ingenious in her defense pattern, which we'll get to in a second. So it's bombing progressively closer to Tokyo 3. And, 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 you know, they seem to be impressed. They're like, it's learning, it's getting closer. But it also seems like it's kind of like learning in a stupid way. Like it's kind of like just like getting closer, but like none of them are like that close. And it seems like, you know, by like, two or three, like a human would figure out you got to like change it by more or something, right? So, so it's like kind of, it, it seems like it's more like a kind of like primitive type of learning or- um, That's true. And that, I don't know, I think that we talked about this in an earlier episode and I'm assuming we'll continue to talk about it. We don't know where the angels come from in that we don't know if they were hibernating, if they're waiting to be awakened or if they're born individually right before we see them attack. And based on the volcano episode, I would say that's how it is. And you're right, it is a Mm -hmm. like a basic form of learning, but it's like a baby learning as it goes. And like, if you watch babies learn gravity and learn uh, basic physics stuff, that's what they do. They pick something up and drop it and then pick it up and drop it and do that over and over and over because their brain is uh, starting to hardwire some physical calculations, right? Yeah, or it's like being impressed by like a cat knocking stuff off of a table or something. (laughs) 
But yeah, I think I think to like your uh, your point, Alex. Like, because I do say like, oh, it just like showed up out of nowhere, right? And it like, when you at least like see it before it destroys the satellites, you presume that it would have been within range of of some sort of satellite, or that like something should have like been able to detect it. And sort of like, oh, like how like where where did it actually come from? That it's just like suddenly this close mm. to to Earth, but then like evaded detection before. Right, exactly. Like, I don't think they're drifting from the stars here. They're being born somewhere either on or close to Earth, and then they are appearing to attack. But but that's kind of like a consistent thing with these angels. They're just like kind of like suddenly spotted. And, you know, so we've seen the one that came from the volcano, but then but then it's kind of unclear where these other ones are kind of kind of just popping up seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah, I hope they explain some of that. I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the city goes into lockdown. We get the cool buildings descending into the earth, which I'll never get tired of. And Misato and Ritsuko have this conversation about Misato's plan, which is to quote unquote catch the angel, uh, which Ritsuko thinks like, that's insane. It has a terrible chance of victory, like absolutely not. But Misato pulls rank on her and there's this cool shot right as Misato pulls rank and shuts off the conversation. That's when the water stops flowing out of the sink faucet to say like, this line of communication is over. Their dynamic, their relationship has now fundamentally changed. And that's the point at which it changes. Because you can get a promotion and not do anything with it, but as soon as you act on it, that's when there's an actual dynamic shift. Yeah, that's very artful. I had not connected that. So I have a question about the the probabilities that are quoted. It's like like, there are a bunch of zeros and then a one. Are are those coming from like the Magi system? And it is kind of interesting, right? Because like, you know, the, the Avas would be something that the Magi don't have a ton of data on that it is like this like very new thing that the pilots are learning and like their sync rates are changing. You know, maybe maybe it kind of makes sense of something that like the Magi wouldn't know exactly what they're talking about. And in the past they've succeeded when the, they had these very low chances of success, right? Yeah, I think like in like the first episode yeah. or two, right? When it's like, oh, there's like a point, again, a bunch of zeros and then one uh, <laughs> percent chance of like activation or something like this. And it seems to like, go out pretty well. And there was a line, I I wasn't sure if I was misinterpreting or not, but was she saying something like, oh, like consult with the Magi that like disagreed with the other two or something like that to, to like get more information for their plan? Oh, I didn't catch that. That's awesome. I didn't catch that either. I think I think there was a little like throwaway line about that, but it might've been something I was misinterpreting. Uh, okay, so the city descends, it goes into lockdown and then Misato says her plan, which is to catch the angel, which is cool, very catch a falling star. <laughs> and Asuka says it's a terrible idea, but they all agree to do it. Misato says you might die, so you should probably make out a will, and all of them refuse. Well, she's like, according to the regulations, this is what you're supposed to do. That, that, that is a really cool shot. And at first I thought that they were in some sort of like hollow room that had like a map projected on the floor. But then I think that it's just like glass. Like they're kind of at the like reverse roof of like a skyscraper. And they're like looking down on that, um, you know, the stuff that's like on the bottom of that world. That was super cool. Yeah, it's so awesome. I didn't put that together. And I was like, well, how would, I haven't seen any structures that would actually look like that. 
but we have, it's the buildings that come down from the surface. Yeah, so I also, this is another part where I'm like, I wish that this was, I wish that there was more time that you could spend uh, on the episode on like, on just the evacuation process. Because there are like a couple of weird things where like, oh, like priorities toward three and four or something like that. And I'm like, why are they prioritized? Like, what are like, what are the social dynamics of this world that like, there is there like a, a hierarchy of like, okay, we've got to make sure that like, ward one gets out. Like, that's just gotta happen. Mm. I'd love to know more about the city. Like, it's just like, they have like all this, yeah. right? Like all this cool architecture, all of this cool stuff like built into their everyday existence to allow them to like fight the angels. And like, we only get to see like little pieces of it like come in here and there throughout. Yeah, great world building. Slow and like giving people little hints so that anybody who's just watching it, you know, a kid or whoever who's just watching it for the big monster fights doesn't have to pay that much attention. But anyone, you know, like us is like, oh, I want to know more. <laughs> so, so in that combo, Asuka and Shinji kind of both put on this like happy face when they're talking to Misato. And then, like, Asuka kind of calls Shinji out for doing it, even though I'm pretty sure she did the same thing. But then, but then actually, maybe she just is really into, like, steak. I don't know. It's like, she's just, like, so into any kind of, like, reward or compliment. No, you're right. Because she says, can you believe her generation? They still think, like, going out for a steak is a, is a big event because they're so underprivileged because they grew up in the shadow of the uh, second impact. Yeah, she's like, that's what gives them such, like, a poor person image. And I was like, that's way to be classist, Asuka. Oh. <laughs> Asuka is not my favorite anymore. Yeah, she's like, they can't help it. Yeah. So Ray says she's not going to come with them to whatever restaurant they choose because she doesn't like to eat meat. And I'm like, oh, Ray's vegetarian. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so there's this cool shot of them being in the elevator and then... At the end of it, you kind of suddenly like uh, see the the Ava's in the background, and just to me anyway, that's just like a very cool moment. Not sure what it what it is that like makes that feel so effective to me, but maybe you just see kind of like the scale of it, or it's just like just not there, and then it is there, and it's kind of like all right, this is real, this is happening. And the color choices is very cool, just to have them next to each other because we get the white, blue, red of Rei, Shinji, Asuka's plug suits. And then we get the uh, red, blue, purple from the the Avas, which is, uh, it's just cool to see them all together. Yeah, I remember like the, the art of like that elevator scene jumping out to me too, where they just like have like the, you know, the clear sort of like delineation between the three pilots the entire time. And then just sort of like, yeah, feeds into like these, these three Avas. And you're like, well, I, I, yeah, I'm not even sure if they were like trying to drive home anything particularly thematic there, but just in terms of like the aesthetics was really strange. Maybe it's just Stockholm Syndrome because they've showed us so many elevator <laughs> scenes. We're finally like, well, I'm going to keep getting them and I might as well enjoy them. <laughs> But it was like, it was really well illustrated. And, and that is interesting. It chooses that as the moment to flash back to then this conversation with Misato and Shinji. So this is kind of like their third one-on-one -on -one conversation um, this episode. And it's like her answering the question that Shinji asked her at the party that she kind of deflected. You know, she says she isn't motivated to get these promotions, and then she tells her real motivation. Um, to me, it's like still, it's kind of like conflicted or I'm not sure exactly what she's saying. 
you know, so she talks about her father saving her, not sure whether she like loved him or hated him. And then it's kind of unclear, is she like avenging her father's death or is she getting revenge against her father? Um, you know, so are the angels the things that like created her father or like the angels the thing that took her father away from her um, or that he created? Oh, that's brilliant. Yes, yeah, so, like I love, I, I love that like they sort of leave us open, like you said, it's not like the way that she explains it, it's not completely like pinned down, I think what her motivation is. She has all this bitterness as like a kid that's like, you know, coming from just being like neglected essentially by her father and sort of seeing like her mom's taking care of her, her dad's just off in his own little world doing the science thing. People seem to think he's a sensitive soul. And she's like, whatever, why isn't he here for mom and I? And then, and then like, at you know, it's like an impact. He does this like incredibly selfless thing to save her life. And if I think about like someone that I don't like doing something nice for me, I'm like, I didn't need that. Yeah, I didn't ask for your help. I don't want your help. And so I can imagine it being like, like partially like avenging, but partially like showing him it's like I didn't, I can protect myself. I didn't need your help against mm. like all of this, right? Like I'm, I've never needed you. Yeah, and in that way, it kind of gets to be both. Like, yes, she can avenge her father and whatever she feels about him, but also uh, uh, showing or sticking it to him, <laughs> showing him that he, you don't need it. I can also imagine it partially being that she just doesn't want reminders of it anymore, right? So she's like talking about wanting to sort of like mm. move past this. But like if, hey, if like where you live is being terrorized by <laughs> giant alien creature, it's kind of hard to just like move on from that because you're just constantly <laughs> reliving this horrible thing that happened to you and your family. And, and so the, the English language title of this, so this episode has a really weird title the netflix title is a miracle's worth and then the original translation title or the second title card uh in the episode reads she said don't make others suffer for your personal hatred which i don't know who she is but i through the episode i imagine it's ritsuko yeah that's what i was thinking too um and, and so it seems like from that i mean i guess that's in english so that's kind of like a subtle thing that maybe everyone wouldn't pick up but I almost felt like it was foreshadowing Misato was like making a mistake. Like she was taking on this risk that was too big because, you know, she's like more motivated by hatred of her father. Yeah, they could just evacuate the city. They could just be like, whatever, this thing will drop on Nerve HQ and we'll set up somewhere else. But instead she's like, no, we're going to kill it. Oh, Okay. So they put the plan into effect. They launch all three Avas in like a triangle because they don't know exactly where it will fall. And then the Avas start running and just trying to keep position with it wherever it is going to fall. And it just so happens that Shinji's the one closest. <laughs> and there is that awesome shot, which we've never seen them purposely manipulate or consciously manipulate the AT field of the Ava. But right before he goes to catch it, he yells, AT field to maximum. And you see it just blow these houses away from its feet. And you're like, oh, hopefully people weren't in those things. But uh, that's cool that you can do that. So they, so he catches it, right? Like, it's successful. Uh, we don't know why it works. Like, Misato believes in these kids. She says she thought of the plan or they, she thought of their positioning because of women's intuition. And I'm like, I, I, 
I don't know that that's a defined enough thing, but hey, look at that. It yeah, works. It seems like there should also have been like a nice mathematical way to do that, right? Like you have like the, the region where it's probably going to fall. You have three objects. Like there's a way, like that's a solved problem. You could disperse them to maximally cover that that space. But just like, nah, got this. <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, I might be reading way too much into it. But, um, you know, it, it's reminded me a little bit of like Ender's Game sort of and like, you know, maybe this idea that like we have these AIs, but there are still things that like humans are better at than the AIs. You know, it, it's a little weird because she calls it like women's intuition. I don't know. She could call it like her intuition as like a major in the military. Right. But that like, you know, potentially she just does have the expertise and her brain can like figure this stuff out better than the, the computer. No, 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 that is a, uh, at least I, at this time, it seems to me that is an emergent theme in the work is female empowerment, especially Misato and Ritsuko. And then by extension, Asuka and Rei, like they really want to hammer home what equals people are. And it's kind of at odds with the fan service, right? We had another guest on um, from Brian and he had talked about, there's essentially two camps in Gynax that were making this. And one camp was very critical of the practice of fan service. And the other camp was pretty for it. And so you ended up getting this fan service, but the other team was able to put in some critique of it to be like, okay, here it is, but you should understand this is not good. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of also like having like having your cake and eating it too, having your cheesecake and eating <laughs> it too in this case. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's a little bit like, right, it's like the ironic joke about racism where like you kind of still make the racist joke, but then it's like, oh, but you see, it's like the old guy making the joke. So like, it's about how backwards his thinking is. The, and like the show does seem to have like, uh, at least has characters trying to reinforce like gender norms all over the place, right? Where people are constantly telling like Shinji how to be a man, mm. right? Being like, oh, like you're like you're a boy or you're a man, you should like be more decisive or like have a backbone. And But it, yeah, it sort of is interesting, but like, yeah, that they call out specifically like women's intuition as opposed to like intuition from her military experience. It does seem sort of like they were trying to say something. Right. right? And I think historically women's intuition is shorthand for information that men are not paying attention to. <laughs> I would say, I feel like it's mainly Asuka that calls Shinji out for like not being man enough. I guess maybe what's his name? The, the bully turned friend. Kenji? Yeah. I think Masato does in like the first episode as well, or maybe the second mm. one where when like she first comes back and he's just being like really polite and she's like, no, this is like your house. Like make yourself comfortable. This is your home. It's mm. like, and, you know, stop saying like, yes, ma'am. Or you're like a guy. Have a I have to rewatch. I don't know if they're the same thing, but you're right. Like Asuka is definitely the person who gets on him the most about it. And it's no coincidence that Asuka is this very performative young person who is critical of others performing their roles. In this case, a gender role by Shinji, right? but, but it's kind of interesting because then I feel like she's flaunting the normal gender roles where she is kind of like hyper-assertive. You know, you, you, you could imagine anyway her getting called out a lot for like not acting enough like a polite woman or something like that. So, so, so I don't know if that's also kind of like her 
kind of like dishing that backwards or like huh. how like you know maybe she thinks that and it could be kind of portraying her as this kind of European woman too that she thinks that everyone needs to be more assertive or something like that but like oh, especially huh. a man or something interesting yeah, I also, I also wonder how much of it is, like, her, right, so she she does seem to, a lot of her interactions seem to be sort of, like, assuming these, like, norms again, like, in this episode when she is saying, like, oh, clearly you're here because you want to, like, see me change, perverts. Like, I wonder how much of it is just, like, <laughs> it's maybe easier to put up a front, like, in a predictable way, if, like, you can predict other people, the, like, the people that you're trying to, right, like, get to perceive you in a certain way. And I think it could probably be like disconcerting for somebody who's like very concerned with managing their own presentation. Um, if they can't predict, right, based on like gender norms and things like this, how they're being perceived by somebody else. And so maybe she's like in some way trying to to get Shinji, right? She, maybe she doesn't know. It's like, oh, I don't know. I can't like read how Shinji thinks of me. And like, this is very important that I be able to manage this. And so it's like, be more predictable, be more like typical dude. So I know how to like interface with you. Wow. That's brilliant. Okay, so Dave has run real fast, and uh, we see that not only are they giant and they can obviously cover a lot of distance, but they can literally, like, super speed run. It's so cool! Awesome. Like, suddenly they're Sonic the Hedgehog, and they can really, like, make those speed lines appear around them. I was thinking back to that old episode where that had that weird thing of it running... And it's like trying to catch up. I guess it's when it's trying to catch up to that man named robot, but there it looks mm-hmm. like it can like barely run at all. It's like sprinting, but making very little <laughs> progress on this speed walking robot. So Shinji catches it, right? But all he can do is keep it there. He keeps it up. Ray comes in with her AT field and splits the angel's AT field apart. And that gives the opening for Asuka to plunge in her progressive knife and just take out the core. I love how it dies, though, because it just kind of (laughs) flops on top of them. And then it explodes, of course. Explosion pancake. Yeah, it's kind of these last two combats have been kind of similar, where they all had to, like, cooperate. They each had their own roles. And then also we had the robot just, like, flopping on them at the end. Yeah, Yeah, I wonder why this one explodes when the last one didn't. So the mission succeeds. We get a debriefing scene with, I guess, all three pilots and the command crew, and they get a call from uh, Commander Ikari and Lieutenant Commander Kozo. I don't know. I was very uncomfortable with this. We talked. We alluded to it earlier. Gendo says, "Like, oh, good job, Misato, for coordinating this effort. Don't worry about any damages. That's fine. You got the job done." Then he also says, like, is Shinji there? And they go, yeah, Shinji's here. And he's like, good job, Shinji. And he just lights up. So it's very uncomfortable to me that his father, who's been pretty much nothing but a piece of shit to him, still has this emotional hold on him. Have either of you, if by any chance, uh, read, like, the fifth season or anything in, like, the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Johnson? Okay, I was just gonna draw an analog there where like there's this like incredibly powerful um, sort of like subset of, of humans that are violently oppressed by the rest of society. And part of how they, I think like they, they're able to actually keep this population oppressed is by like one completely isolating them and then giving them just enough praise or like the opportunity that maybe in the future things will be better for them that like they're like 
just hanging on, like to, right, to, in the hopes of receiving scraps from from these other people. And this sort of one character says, like, oh, this like this person's like violently abusing me, but they're also like the only thing I have to love, and like the only thing I have to like mm. be loved by in this world. And sort of just like this, yeah, reminded me of that. I mean, it's, it, and at this point, I guess it's really not Shinji's only like real emotional connection with other people because he now has friends and. Um, like other people in caretaker roles, but it's just clear that, yeah, his dad has this real strong yeah, grip. And that's a perfect parallel. I hadn't thought about, because Gendo, not only his father, but Gendo also represents the power structure, right? He's the patriarch at the head of this thing. Yeah, they, there's this kind of like, they say something about, you know, I guess they talk about Ava Zero One being hurt or injured in some way, they don't really explain. And then Gendo says something like, I heard what happened to you or something like that. Oh yeah, there is a, I missed it, but there is a quick shot where his, the Ava arms buckle. Hmm. Oh. And then uh, Misato takes him out for the steak at the end. Surprise! Steak turns into ramen. (laughs) One of the cheapest foods you can get in Japan, unlike the 15 or $20 ramens in the States, you can get like a seven, eight buck bowl of ramen. But I I was looking this up because I guess like in my time in Japan, I feel like I never heard of shark fin soup or sod anywhere. So I Googled shark fin soup Japan. And one of the first things that popped up is that that a bowl of shark fin soup can cost over a hundred US dollars. So I guess maybe Asuka figured out how to get her money's worth. She's uh, just always trying to live that high class lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) Right after she's like, we understand how like poor you are, Misato. We just don't care. Like a (laughs) hundred (laughs) dollars. What did Shinji get, right? So I know that uh, Ray gets like what, like garlic hold the pork or something like this. Do we do we hear Shinji's order? This is important. I don't, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Ray gets what she wants, uh, and Asuka got something performative, something expensive. We don't know if it's any good, uh, but Ray, we get to see Ray really thoroughly enjoying her food. I mean, yeah, Asuka. I guess it's a mixed bag. I didn't think about the. I'm glad you brought up the expense of the shark fin ramen. But what a wonderful thing for her to do. She's like, I know it was more important to her to get Ray out with them than to go to whatever restaurant she actually thought was worth going to. Yeah, I love. I, I love this. I think it's in the. Uh what is it in in the elevator where they're they're talking about this where she's like and you're coming this time right and i just think that's (laughs) like i don't know i love that dynamic between friends right it was like the quiet one and the loud one she's like no like you gotta come out of your bubble and and i guess ray did literally tell her i will only be friends with you if i am ordered to (laughs) 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 i don't know maybe 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 Asuka's being like, I will order you to be my friend. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it's cool to see them developing some sort of relationship, some sort of rapport, right? Because I don't want the series to just be, this is Shinji and Asuka. This is Shinji and Rei. This is Shinji and Misato. We're like, okay, we get it. He's not the only person who can have relationships here. That sort of reminded me of like a, an earlier like scene in the, in the elevator when uh, he's like, oh, I already asked... Ray, right, about about her motivations for piloting. And she's like, oh, so buddy, buddy. And he's like, oh, it's not like that. And it just seems like really weird that he's like, no, I'm not friends with Ray. I don't have this like special privilege that we all understand is like completely out of reach for any normal human being. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that's it. 
they have this really heartwarming slice of life scene where they're just all eating ramen. And then that's kind of the episode. Uh, and then we get this precursor to the next episode where something spooky gets into the nerve computers. <laughs> Thank you for being on with us. This has been a real joy. Uh, you had a lot of great takes and uh, I don't know, it's been really fun. Yeah, it's been great to see you again. Um, but, but we're also taking recommendations. Um, so I guess either as a rec for listeners or for a, a future season, are there any? What was um, what was that book or book series? Oh, uh, the, it's like the Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin, um, who I believe just won a, a Hugo Award for some other novella. Um, but uh, yeah, the first book is called The Fifth Season. Um, and I think it's like a really great book to read in these times because it takes place uh, during like the end of the world. There's um, the setting oh. is sort of like this uh, world where there every like maybe a couple centuries or something, uh, horrible cataclysmic events like tectonic plates just like go in all haywire. Um, and so like all of society has essentially built these roles for like handling these situations. Um, and yeah, it's the, the opening is sort of like the, the worst of these possible events. I think. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, any organizations you're part of? Any other art you do? Um, I don't know. I think I already got to put in a plug for like the San Diego mutual aid group. We all we got. If um, someone wanted to donate to that uh, mutual aid fund, uh, is there a, a place they could? For sure. Um, we all we got sd.com. And there's a big donate button and it looks a little bit sketchy, I think, because at least last time I checked, it just goes directly to the organizer's PayPal, but it is legit. So no new uh, five-star reviews, but we did have our first uh, Twitter interaction, which was Luca F from the United Kingdom reached out to, to ask us to uh, add the podcast to the uh, Google Music list um, so you could listen to it on there. So we have done that now. And uh, yeah, please reach out. So we're on Twitter at penpenpalspod. Um, you can uh, Gmail us at penpenpalspod or you can uh, leave feedback, question, message in the reviews. So. Very cool. Uh, thank you, Luca from the UK. And synchronicity, isn't Luca one of your favorite Chrono Trigger characters? Uh, yeah. Me too. Wait, you? Whoa, <laughs> get out of town. I don't know if you can see in my background, I have like an epic diagram back here and then like a robo. Oh my God, yeah. is that what that is? That's so wild. It, it's funny, there's somebody, there's like a anime character that I think Luca is like a huge ripoff of. Oh, where? Let me see if I just Google Luca ripoff. Chrono Trigger, but it, <laughs> but it's by the same artist who does the art for uh, Akira Toriyama. Yeah, I think so. He did the art for that. Europe. Yeah, the DBZ guy. Yeah, I attribute a, a large part of my my current interest in science to just like adoring Luca growing up. She's hilarious, right? Witty, charming. This is now a Chrono Trigger podcast. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. 
I've been looking for it. I swear this is a thing, but I'm struggling to find it. I cosplayed as her two Halloweens ago. Well, the thing is, like, it was on campus, and, right, like, I'm, I'm old for a grad student, so, like, nobody knew who she was, except for one guy who was super pumped and was like, can I take your photo? Oh, my God, you're Luca. Okay, I found something. There's an anime called Dr. Slump, uh, also by Akira Toriyama, and it looks like maybe the main character is Arale Norimaki. <gasps> the pop art for Dr. Slump is... Looks exactly like a kid, Luca. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably what I'm thinking of, but it's not as close as I remembered it being. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> Just she the looks purple exactly hair. like Luca. The whole getup. Oh, yeah, I guess it's like the glasses, purple hair. Oh my gosh, wait, hold on. This might be a weird thing. Sorry, go ahead, but here we go. We're going to bring it full circle. So not a ton of overlap between Luca and this character, but here, I'm going to put in the chat. This is a character from Dragon Ball Z at some point, or I don't know, some Dragon Ball. Oh no! This is a character, a rabbit type character who looks kind of like Luca, but is also named Sorel. I will say I have two L's, and this person has one. <laughs> this rabbit person has one L. But oh my god! All right, uh, so our our sign off. Pen. Pen. Pals. Pod. Pod. <laughs> All right. Thanks so Was much. Is that good? Do we need another take? I could do it. No, another it's take. perfect. Do, do we have any uh, spoilers? Do we have a spoiler segment? Do we have a spoiler session? Um, I was just gonna say the just something we wouldn't want to include uh, is the why Shinji ha- gets to have this special relationship with, has this relationship with Rei that nobody else seems to be able to cultivate uh, is because Rei, consciously or unconsciously, has this special connection with Shinji, right? Like, Rei is a clone of Shinji's mother, right? Um, and so, like, not only does that complicate things when you find it out and then look at it in retrospect, but it also explains a lot of stuff because it explains these bizarre interactions between the two of them. Yeah, there, there is that line where it's like, he was like born to pilot these things or whatever. And, you know, I think that might be a little spoilery or a little foreshadowing of mm. the fact that, you know, I, I forget exactly how it works, but maybe the, the Ava has been kind of designed around him specifically or something like that. Yes. Um, uh, each of the Avas is designed specifically around the pilot. Hmm. I, I'm, maybe I'm remembering something wrong, but I think that's how it is. And it is interesting that they make this big fuss about, quote, finding the next pilot, when it's really that they've completed the Ava and they're hmm. ready to bring the pilot in. Yeah, so this is actually something that I, I don't remember from like having uh, watched the series for the, the first time. How, what is Asuka's connection? Like, why does, why is she, so right, so like Shinji sort of makes sense, Ray definitely makes sense. But like, what is the, I guess like, what's the, the story that they give for like how they're finding children? And then what is actually Asuka's connection to, I guess, Nerve? I think one of Asuka's parents is one of the scientists or one of the crew members that was at the second impact. Okay. And her mother, 
kills herself, right? And Asuka finds the body. That's her childhood trauma that she's like living through. Uh, and explains a lot of her uh, wanting to be grown up, her over-sexualization, her hyper-competence, her, like a lot of these aspects of her personality become pretty clear when we get that uh, piece of information later. Yeah, this is super spoilery, and I don't remember how this works or if it's fully explained, but each of the Avas, in addition to being alive, they're not really robots, each of them has a soul. And it's not their own, it's not a new soul. They're, they're like a person's soul, a specific. And so I think Shinji's is his, his mother's, mom. right? Yeah, yeah. And then Ray's is also the mom, but it's like the first Ray that they cloned becomes Ava OO. So it's like Ray's own soul duplicated is her Ava uh, and why they have unique reactions that none of the other Avas do. And Asuka's I think is her mother's as well. Okay. Oh, Ben, we cannot hear you. Thank you. I'm, I'm on the Evangelion fandom and I think this is kind of what you were just saying. But so what they say is when Asuka was four years old, Kyoko participated in a contact experiment with Unit 02, similar to the experiment performed by Yui Kari, who I think is um, Shinji's mom, with Unit 01. Um, oh. And then I guess this kind of leads to the downfall of Asuka's mom. Um, but uh, yeah, so, and so maybe that's the, the transferring of their souls into the, the Avas, is that what you're saying, or something like that? Yeah, uh, I can't remember where, where I got it, but on one of the wikis it, it talked about, you know, I sc- scrolled down too far, and it started talking about which soul was in which Ava, I was like, oh, well that makes sense, but <laughs> how did it get there? I don't understand. Man, what a fascinating series. Yeah, I'm excited to... So watch through the rest of it now. Thank you for reminding me that this exists. <laughs>